Nicholas this morning is going to be reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16, 18 through 19. Hear the word of our Lord. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. High five, Nicholas. You did awesome. If you want to go to the kids' time, Pastor Leah will take you there. Do you want to go? Okay. Now I get to invite Brandon forward. Yeah, well. It is such a gift, such a blessing to be back in this space and this sanctuary with so many familiar faces and so many new faces and so many new friends from Anthem. It's hard to believe, but this month it marks 10 years from saying our goodbyes. At that point, we had, a, we had two toddlers, and those two toddlers are now 11 and 13. And while we were gone in Montana, we added two more to that mix. In 2017, after five years of ministry in Montana, we were blessed to return to our home state of Arizona. Kristen and I are natives to work with our presbytery to start a new worshiping community in Anthem. Our congregation, First Light Fellowship, started as a call, a dream, a daring hope. And over the last five years, it has grown into a beautiful community of people who are committed to loving God, our neighbors, and each other as we meet God in the beauty and the chaos of our lives. At First Light this fall, we've been tiptoeing through the book of Exodus. And so when given the opportunity this morning to select our scripture passage, it was really easy for us to decide that we were going to pull something from Exodus for more than one reason. In the text this morning, after 400 years serving as slaves in Egypt, the Israelites find themselves in a, at a critical moment in their journey toward Exodus, freedom, and becoming the people of God. By God's relentless grace, courageous acts of defiance against orders given by the king of Egypt, and clever problem-solving by midwives and an older sister, baby Moses survived and became a man a man who, to be honest, probably had identity issues. After all, he was born a poor Israelite slave, raised as an Egyptian royal, and as a young man, he ran for his life to the neighboring country of Midian, where he got married, worked, and grew his family. After many years there, maybe about 30, God appeared to Moses from a bush on fire, told him to go back to Egypt, confront the king, and tell them Israel's God demands the release of your slaves. Now when asked to return to Egypt and to try to convince the Pharaoh to release God's people, Moses was quick to come up with a handful of excuses. The last being simply, please find someone else. But God is persistent and God is accommodating. 
Moses goes, and with God's help, the Pharaoh eventually does release the Israelites. Now, that is a very quick update from a more violent mm -hmm. and a little messier account from Scripture. The people of God set out, following God into the wilderness, until they found themselves at a large body of water, one that they could not get across. So they set up camp. And at that point in the narrative, the Pharaoh changes his mind. He does that a lot, it turns out. The Pharaoh decides to send his army after them, to recapture them, and to bring them back to Egypt. That is where we enter the narrative. Hear these words of scripture from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 27. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch it out over your hand out over the sea and divide it. Then the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. So the Israelites were free. They set out, but then they came to a roadblock, a very wet and dangerous roadblock. As they were trying to figure out what to do, they learned that Pharaoh's army is coming after them. As you can imagine, they didn't handle that news very well. They responded with anger and uncertainty. Why did you bring us here to die? I want to be frustrated with the Israelites, to shake my head at them and be like, I would have been different if I had been there with you. But maybe not. We have now been at this work starting a new ministry in Anthem for just about five years. Along the journey, we have met amazing friends. We have shared life with them. We have shared passions with them. We have shared our hopes and dreams with them. And as we've done so, many of them have chosen to join us in that journey. It hasn't been an easy one. It's noisy. It's messy. Sometimes it involves cleaning toilets. 
Sometimes it involves taking out trash. Other times it involves processing really heavy emotions and sitting with each other in grief. But the journey has also been filled with a lot of love, a lot of laughter. We have been vulnerable and shared our authentic selves with each other. We have removed our walls and truly invited each other in. We've been in awe together as we watch toddlers learn how to pray, teens bravely lead in music, friends asking hard questions and rejoicing with us as we celebrate the beauty it is to really live life to the fullest. As we've walked this path together, God has made a way and has led us successfully to navigate over or around countless speed bumps. There have also been mountains in the way, obstacles that seemed too difficult to navigate, impossible to climb. Two of the biggest challenges have been around space and funding our budget. We started with nothing, no space, no money, no worshipers. But as we met people who seemed interested in joining us in an experiment, we needed a home base. I wandered for a long time around Anthem, stopping in and out of businesses, asking if they had a room we could use on Sunday mornings. We struck out over and over and over. People seemed very confused <laughs> about what we were asking until I found the Hampton Inn. They rented us their banquet hall on Sunday mornings for a season of Advent, and that is how we started. But Advent came and went, and we needed a more permanent place, so the search continued, until I connected with the Enclave, a new retirement center in Anthem. They graciously allowed us to meet, in, uh, to meet for worship in their community room, and some of their residents joined us for worship. It was a beautiful experience as we bridged generational gaps in worship and our identity began taking shape. After two years of lugging everything upstairs into their community room on Sunday mornings, we found ourselves homeless again. One Sunday morning in March, we headed to worship and found that the enclave was closed indefinitely to non-residents due to a potential threat of a new virus. We quickly pivoted and met in a park, then in people's homes, and then everything shut down. We worshiped remotely, but we knew we needed a home after the shutdown was over. The Presbytery came to our rescue. They worked with us to buy a small building in an office complex. We were elated to own a permanent home base that had a lot of potential. The challenge was that half of the floor plan had a bunch of offices in it. The largest room was 350 square feet, which wasn't really conducive to a group for worship. Well, we did it anyway, to start. <laughs> but then an old friend, your very own Mark Lineweber, shepherded us through the process of renovation. And for about a year now, we have had a beautiful worship space in which to gather on Sundays and to use to bless the community throughout the week. Funding our budget has been another ocean we are trying to cross. Kristen has applied for countless grants, God bless her. <laughs> And we are blessed to have been the recipients of many of them that have helped cover salaries and to purchase AV equipment and signage and so much more. At the denominational level, the 1001 Network for New Church Plants offers grants for the first three years, and we've used them to get this far. We have had many awkward conversations with family and friends, inviting them, sometimes begging them to support the ministry. 
And we have worked hard within our congregation to increase our stewardship, increasing our internal giving by $40,000 over the last four years, and also funding a building campaign in the midst of it. We have come a long way, but we have not crossed this ocean quite yet. Brandon and I knew there were going to be challenges in starting a new ministry. Our life stage didn't make it any easier either. When we started the ministry in Anthem, Kennedy was just two months old. That meant we had a two-month-old, a two-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. We left a reliable income in Montana to follow God into the unknown, our own wilderness. We knew it was going to be hard, but we also knew that God was calling us and leading us into the future. It has pushed us outside of our comfort zone as we invite strangers and friends to support us financially. It has meant handing over the reins entirely to God, trusting that God is indeed working. And sometimes also handing over the reins to others because we cannot do this work alone. There have definitely been times when we have found ourselves mumbling under our breath or crying into our pillows or crying with friends over coffee. Why does it have to be this hard? So while I want to shake my head and shame the Israelites, I can identify with them. They have made a long journey. They have left behind everything that they knew and they headed out into the unknown. That is terrifying. But now they're faced with an immovable roadblock. While also being pursued by forces that they perceive to be more powerful and more capable than they are. They had been promised milk and honey, and now instead are faced with almost uncertain death. Why, God? It is in many ways a classic crisis of faith. And so I love in Exodus, Moses' response. God will fight for you. You only need to be still. Just let God do God's thing. Trust, wait, breathe. We all need to hear those words from time to time. When we don't feel up to the challenges of parenting, God is present and working. Just be still. God will make a way. When a relationship feels broken or distant, you aren't alone. God is working. Take a breath. Watch listen. Sometimes in life and ministry, even the most faithful people may try to force things to get done by our own hustle and sweat or in our own timing. It's ironic that in our excitement to be part of God's church, flourishing and growing, we needed to be reminded to wonder, how can we see and lean into God's vision? How can we hear God's still small voice? This text is a reminder that there is a different and better way forward. We, when we face obstacles bigger than we can handle, a faithful and productive first step is to be still. Listen. Be patient and attend to what God is doing. I'm humble enough to admit that we have learned this lesson more than once over the past five years. And as we try to faithfully follow God into the future and face new challenges, and we will, big and small, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to learn it again. 
If being still is the first step, though, what is step two? In the text this morning, we see that be still is followed quickly by God's command to Moses, get the people ready to move. In our ministry, we are constantly moving, then waiting and discerning and pivoting and brainstorming and creatively coming up with solutions to problems. And when I say we, I don't mean Kristen and I alone. I mean all of us at first light. So much of our congregation's identity and what we are becoming is due to someone throwing out an idea after worship one Sunday. Then their idea gets tweaked by someone a bit and then built on by another, and then we work together to make it happen. Last weekend, we participated in Autumn Fest and Anthem. Autumn Fest, at Autumn Fest, there is a carnival and a pumpkin patch and a craft fair and also an opportunity for local businesses and nonprofits to host a tent so that they can interact a bit with the community. Two years ago, in a casual conversation of the, on the patio of the community center in Anthem, I can still remember vividly a conversation taking place where it all got started. We should host a tent, but what should we do? We didn't want to just hand out more trinkets with our name on it. We wanted the tent to let people get to know us, to be able to have an experience with us in the brief encounter they would have. Someone had an idea to play with our name a little bit and have a theme of be a light. That led to encouraging the community to participate in random acts of kindness. Why not have a kindness wheel? That led to but why not actually let them do something in the tent that they can take with them to be a blessing outside of the tent in our larger community? Why not homeless care bags? So for the last two years, we have hosted a tent with the theme of Be a Light. We have a giant wheel of kindness that children and adults can actually spin and it lands on a random act of kindness that they're challenged to accomplish in the week ahead. In addition to that, when they come into the tent, they're given a Ziploc bag with a small resource card, card inside. The card has different names of, of services in the Phoenix metro area that can provide more substantial services. And then they go through an assembly line and they take toiletry items and snacks and water bottles and washcloths and put them into the bag. And when they're done, they're invited to take the bag home and put it in their car so that if they run across someone in need, they're able to provide them with something. Last weekend, we created 241 care bags that were sent out into the community. On Monday morning, I went to a spa to recuperate a little bit after a weekend on my feet. And the owner of the spa stopped me and said that she had already had an opportunity to share her care bag. Later in the week, I was grocery shopping and someone randomly came up, came up to me that I didn't recognize and they said they met us in our tent. And they said that after work, the day before, they had been able to hand out their care bag. In addition to that, this week, I've gotten texts from random parents around the community with pictures of their kiddos holding doors open or taping change to vending machines or leaving, leaving notes in grocery stores. All of this coming from a conversation that randomly took place after Bible study on a patio. We are so grateful to have had the time and space to be still, and to listen, and to let inspiration and imagination lead us to serve our community. 
What's next? Well, knowing God is good and in the details, we welcome the unknown and the adventure. We are grateful for the partnerships that have made and continue to make this adventure possible. It reminds me of the part from Exodus when the army is gaining on the Israelites and the ocean is on the other side and the people are frozen with fear and God sends an angel to go between and keep them apart. When we are facing an onslaught of challenges, often God inspires friends to be angels for us, to put up blinders so we can focus on what needs to be done right now and not get overwhelmed by everything else. We are here today preaching in this beautiful sanctuary surrounded by old friends and new friends because you all have decided to be our angels. As Brandon alluded to earlier, there have been some significant challenges to starting up this new ministry. The space issue is behind us now. We have a beautiful space that we get to worship together on Sunday mornings. But the ocean of financial security is still before us, and we're trying to find our way to the other side. We have utilized the grants from the national level. We have a very meager budget, and we are filled with faithful givers. But we are at a crucial point. Our ministry is growing, and therefore so does our budget. But we do not have the resources internally to fund the budget on our own. Will we get there? Absolutely. Is God at work shifting winds and stirring sands and making a way? Of course God is. Are we watching, waiting, discerning, and then acting, following, and pivoting? You bet we are. We are growing. We have 10 kids, 10 teens, who now gather on Sunday afternoons for youth group. We have a growing craft ministry, a thriving Bible study. We have more and more people joining us for worship. And we've also just started a suburban retreat center. This month we had, a, had an offering, a, a Saturday forum, where people from the community of Anthem came in to de-stress with us. We taught them mindful activities they can do to be intentionally in the moment and to work on letting go of stress in their lives. God is working in our midst. We see a way forward. The path is being more, becoming more and more clear. We are in awe of what God has already done through First Light and what we as a congregation are capable of when we work together. But it is hard to not be discouraged when the concerns of budgets and the realities of pandemics are closing in. But you, our friends at Pinnacle have stepped in like the angels in our narrative this morning. You have put yourselves between us and the threats. You are allowing us to put more of our time and energy into the essential pieces of our ministry, worshiping, teaching, outreach, mission, relationships, sharing life with new friends. You are muting the sirens for a bit and reminding us that our focus needs to be on the path forward, of inviting more people into our ministry and offering life. Does that mean that the hard work we are doing is over, that we are done? No, it does not. The Israelites continued on. They faced more and more challenges, and some of the old challenges reemerged. 
But we are on our way. First Light is no longer an experiment. First Light is a thriving ministry and anthem. We are becoming a chartered congregation. We will be sustainable financially. We will continue to spread God's love and grace and hope and peace to people we meet, inviting them into the work of God in our midst. We will continue to invite people to see God, to meet God, and the beauty and chaos of our lives. You are helping us get there. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for seeing God at work in the ministry of First Light. Thank you for being our angels. Amen.